Do you wish then, said Faramir, that our places had been exchanged? Yes, I wish that indeed, said Denethor, for Boromir was loyal to me and no wizard's pupil. He would have remembered his father's need and would have not squandered what fortune gave. He would have brought me a mighty gift. Hey there, guys. Welcome to or welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. I'm Danny J. And this is Joel N. And today, this is episode 40. Yay! Yeah, yay, thanks for sticking yay. with us for 40 episodes, guys. Yeah. This is kind of a feat for us. Yeah, super excited. Today, we're going to be talking about, as we might have mentioned, I think we did, Faramir, son of Denethor, brother to Boromir. Yeah. Talked about Boromir last episode. If you're interested, go back and check that out. Great episode. Very popular, too. Thanks, guys, for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. But this week, Faramir. Let's get into some of his names and titles. So Faramir is known as Captain of the Rangers of Ithilien, Captain of the White Tower. And later, he is Steward to the King of Gondor, and also Lord of Emin Arnon. And Faramir, he was born in the year 2983. Two parents, Finduilas of Dol Amroth and Denethor II. Now, Finduilas is the daughter of Prince Imrahil. Shafted. Shafted. Of Dol Amroth, Southern Gondor. That makes Imrahil Boromir's and uh, Faramir's uncle. Yeah, their cool uncle. Their cool, super cool uncle. And uh, Denethor II, he's the son of Ecthelion II. And uh, Denethor is the 26th ruling steward of Gondor. And of course, as we know... As we know, right, Joel? As you know. As we know. That's since the, appearance, the disappearance of King Aranur, who is the 34th king of Gondor, and that was in TA 2050. And he was thought to be the last of the line of Anarion. But if we look at Aragorn, he's technically a descendant, technically a descendant of Anarion and Isildur, because Arvidui, the last king of the Northern Kingdom, was married to a woman named Furiel, who was the daughter of King Onderher, who was the 32nd king of Gondor. So therefore, Aragorn has lineage of both Anarion and Isildur, making him the king two times over, my friend. Right. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Hope you, guys are, hope you guys are taking notes. Everybody just turned off, though. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. When we were going over this episode, so Danny presented me with all this information for the episode earlier, and we're, we're reviewing, and I get to this point about Aragorn's heritage, and I'll just... I'll yeah, just all the Dunedain, all the Dunedain history. I'll just let you go for that one. My my Dunedain history is not quite as extensive as yours. Yeah, I've been... It's my That's my current obsession. But let's get into uh, Faramir's childhood. Of course, he was five years younger than his older brother, Boromir, which we mentioned last week. And he was also five years old, Boromir being ten, when their mother, Finduilas, died. Yeah, she died of uh, some kind of ailment. And this caused their father, Denethor, to emotionally withdraw from a lot of things, from fatherhood and all sorts of things. But uh, he still had kind of one obsession, and that was Boromir, his favorite son. His favorite Boromir. Yeah, if you'll remember from the last episode. And although both, both of the brothers grew up to be great captains of war, Denethor always favored Boromir. They were both fierce in battle, and their men loved them, but still, Denethor did not love Faramir. Yeah, he just he was pretty much a dick to Faramir. His whole, yeah, his whole life. But even though there was obviously favoritism there, there wasn't any rivalry between the brothers, as you might expect. Yeah, I think it almost made their relationship stronger, knowing that like they weren't treated equally. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? Vormir always tried to look out for his younger brother. Because he's uh, like, who else is? You know what I mean? Right, exactly. <laughs> and ultimately, that's why Boromir wanted to go to Rivendell in Faramir's place, but we'll, we'll kind of touch on that later. We'll get to that later, yeah. Yeah, he's just trying to be a protective older brother. But the ultimately, yeah, they love each other very much. Very, very much. Faramir was like to his brother in appearance, but very different in temperament. Yeah, Boromir, as we know, uh, is rash and often quick to wrath. But on the other hand, Faramir, cool and contemplative. Cool as a cucumber, son. And Faramir also hated warfare, which uh, Boromir was all about. And he just liked the act, he disliked the act of killing anything. Yeah, altogether. Just, if it's not necessary, don't do it. But, like many people throughout the ages, he still did his duty in protecting his country, which entailed him doing the very thing that he does not like to do. Right, killing. Kill. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, like we mentioned, even in the last episode with Vormir, they had a very strong sense of duty growing up in Gondor at that time. Right, right. Well, because the culture of Gondor kind of saw themselves as, like, the last stand against evil. Like, Yeah, that's how they saw themselves. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So in kind of some more contrast to his brother, Faramir had a, a big love for music and arts and the history. And when he was a child, he befriended a traveler that you may know by the name of Gandalf. But he knew him as Mithrandir, which means Grey Wanderer in Sindarin. Yeah, Gandalf taught Faramir many things. Uh, this relationship was also one of the reasons Denethor resented Faramir. I don't know if there was some sort of jealousy there at their connection or what, but... I think it also just kind of highlighted the difference between the two brothers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Denethor, he saw Boromir more as more alike to him, where Faramir is now becoming more and more unlike him. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the this is the Danny J theory. I I kind of think that Faramir he in this you see this in real life a lot, and it's very very sad when it happens. Like uh, if a if a spouse dies or uh, is divorced from or or whatever, it, they always seem to sometimes take it out on the kid that reminds them most of that of that person. Yep. So I kind of think that Faramir was like a more kind and gentle soul, like his mother, perhaps. Whereas Boromir is strong and valiant like his father, Denethor. And I don't know if that's explicitly said somewhere. It is not as far as I can fit, tell. I think that fits perfectly in yeah. the story. I, I would be willing to take that as canon if it was, you know, I'm almost willing to take yeah. it. I just haven't explicitly just, read it somewhere. That's it's a, the what, only... do, what do they call it in math? It's a postulate. cannot be proven for sure, <laughs> but, but is most likely the truth. But yeah, that's my little two cents. Yeah, I think that I think that's great. That's real good Tolkieniering right there. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the military service of the two brothers and the lead up to the War of the Ring. Yeah, so Boromir and Faramir were both in charge of defending Ithilien. They were both part of that military. And most of the evil forces in that region, they come out of uh, Minas Morgul. Uh, and Boromir being the captain of the White Tower and Faramir being the captain of the Rangers of Athelion, they're obviously both going to work together yeah. to quell this onslaught that's about to happen. Yeah, the two brothers, they, they like defend Gondor altogether, like the brothers of Gondor. Yeah. So Sauron would eventually move to take Athelion and the east bank of Anduin. And on the eve of that attack is when uh, Faramir and Boromir have that dream that we know of. I think this is the first time they have that dream. This is the first time. And then uh, Faramir goes on to have it two more times. Yeah. So Faramir ultimately has that dream three times, really driving it home. And the dream goes a little bit something like this. In that dream, I thought the eastern sky grew dark and there was a growing thunder. But in the west, a pale light lingered, and out of it I heard a voice, remote but clear, crying, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken, stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token, that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken, 
and the halfling fourth shall stand. And the brothers, understandably, are confounded by this. They don't really know what it means. They don't really know. Yeah, they're just completely clueless. So they go to the... What is this halfling? What is... Halflings and broken swords and Isildur's band. Isildur's killed by an arrow. What does an arrow have to do with any of this? But yeah, so he's... They go to their father. Because their father, uh, despite being an asshole, (laughs) is... Yeah, he's a smart guy. He's a learned man, yeah. But ultimately, uh, their father being a very learned guy, he could only tell them that Imladris is also known as Rivendell, which is uh, a northern dale where the half-elven lord Elrond lives. He's, uh, he's an elven lore master. And the actual location is lost to their knowledge. He just kind of generally knows yeah. it's somewhere north on <laughs> like the west side of the Misty Mountains. That's, that's all I got. Somewhere between Bree and the Misty Mountains. You right know, over there. Yeah. Right over there and there you'll find it. It's supposed to be hard to find. <laughs> it's Good luck. To, it's kind of the point, dude. So ultimately, uh, right off the bat, Faramir is all gung-ho to go and seek out Rivendell. I mean, he's a, he's a, a ranger of Athelion. This yeah. is the kind of shit he does. Obvious choice, yeah. But uh, because of the perilous and uncertain nature of the journey, Boromir insists on going himself. Yeah, kind of that whole big brother mentality. Mm-hmm. Better me than you. Yeah. So like we had mentioned earlier, uh, the following day, June 20th, 3018, Sauron's forces attack Athelion, and they actually push the Gondorians out of Athelion. Clean out. <laughs> clean out, and they take the eastern bank of the Anduin, taking that uh, eastern half of Osgiliath. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned uh, last week, too, Osgiliath is a city, that, an ancient city uh, that's built on either side of the Anduin River. Right, so it's right on the river. Like uh, Budapest, we say. Look up Budapest. Beautiful city. Cool. Yeah, so the only survivors of that attack, the only survivors of that attack were the two brothers, Boromir and Faramir, and uh, two others from their company. And they ultimately were the ones that destroyed the bridge, and they had to swim the Anduin just to get to safety on the West Bank. Yeah. I want to know how they broke a stone bridge. Right. See, that's what I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. How, would, how would you do that on the fly? Because I don't think they had explosives. Sledgehammers. 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 I imagine Boromir and Faramir working on... On top of the bridge, ceaselessly shirtless. Sweaty. Just, I've been working on destroying the bridge all the live long day. Just chipping away piece by piece at the bridge their ancestors worked so hard to build. <laughs> So after the destruction of the bridge, not too long later, on July 5th, this is when Boromir sets out to find that unknown location of Inladris. And this leaves Faramir in charge of basically all of Gondor's defenses. But on the other hand, it also leaves him alone with his father Denethor, without Boromir to stick up for him. Yeah, so that's just, yeah, he's kind of between a rock and a hard place now. So ultimately, Faramir resumes his role actively as uh, captain of the Rangers of Athelion and kind of continues on with that main line of work over yeah. in Athelion. And the Rangers of Athelion, let's talk a little bit about these guys. Who yeah, are yeah. They? The Rangers, of, because they don't really get into the Rangers of Athelion in the movies at all. No, they don't get into any Rangers, dude. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they, they, they don't. They, they're they afraid of Ranger danger, dude. Shafted. Shafted. Ranger shafted. So the Rangers of Athelion. They are basically the special forces of the Gondor military. And uh, they were established around the year 2901. Um, and this is when Gondor immediately or, uh, um, started to lose control of Athelion. Yeah, so this is when Sauron started establishing himself in Mordor again. Uh, Sauron's forces were kind of just moving through that area regularly. So the civilians moved out. It was just kind of a dangerous place to be. Yeah. No it, one really wanted to be there. Yeah, it became disputed. Like in geography, you'd call it disputed territory, yeah. right? So they got this great plan. 
to put together these these rangers of Athelion, and so they specifically chose descendants of Gondorians that used to dwell in Athelion. So they knew the land, and uh, many of them still had that Dunedain blood, so they were good fighters, they were big men, but also they had a great motive for revenge. Yeah, so son. They're like, this is our land. When I was writing this episode, I was like, kind of that trope kind of sounds familiar, and I was like, oh, that's Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. That's the the plot to Inglorious yeah. Bastards. They are the Inglorious Bastards. The Inglorious Bastards. bastards. Uh, and their job was basically... Um, just to fuck up as much stuff as they could for Sauron, they uh, they would attack forces moving in and out of Athelion, supply lines, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, quickly, quietly, super good at guerrilla warfare. Uh, you know, they're constantly ambushing troops and, and you know, tactics in uh, thought out formations. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm ranger saying. Ranger shit, you know what I'm saying? Ranger shit. They're doing ranger shit, son. <laughs> yeah, just like the bastards. <laughs> yeah, just like the Inglorious Just like bastards. the bastards. Probably beating people up with baseball bats, you know, just. So I'm going to write a letter to Quentin Tarantino that he ripped off. The Rangers of Athelion for his film Inglorious Bastards. There's a pending lawsuit. Here yeah, we go. What a ripoff, Quentin. So during one of these uh, raids uh, against the Haradrim on March 7th, 3019, Faramir's men capture Frodo and Sam, who are making their way secretly through Athelion on their way to the Pass of Kirith Ungol. Yeah, they're just, you know, out in this war zone, and they come across a couple fucking hobbits? Oh, we're travelers. Very weird. Uh, what are you doing here? Yeah. Frodo, yeah. yeah, Frodo explains that they had set out from Rivendell with some companions. Yeah, and Faramir and his men are surprised when he actually mentions Boromir by name as one of those companions. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Faramir realizes, these two people we need to talk to. Yeah. But uh, we got something going on right now. There's this battle <laughs> that we're about, this like guerrilla attack we're about to do. So you guys hang tight. Uh, we're going to have you hang out with our couple buds here, Mablung and Damrod. Yeah. I love that, as the as the British would say, remember Miss O'Neill used to say this all the time? Our, our teacher from Scotland, she would like, if somebody was interrupting a conversation, she'd like wink at you and be like, chat later. So that's basically what he says. Chat later. And just dash off, go do this battle. So meanwhile, uh, Frodo and Sam are hanging out with a couple of these these Athelian rangers, Mablug and Damrod, and they get to talking and they they find out that they're speaking in Adenaic, so they get a little taste of Adenaic. Yeah, Frodo says um, they speak a tongue that is uh, either the elf tongue or one like it, which... Adonaic Adonaic comes from Quenya, so... Yeah, it's like a mannish form of Quenya. It's kind of cool. But also, they get to talk into these two, and the two rangers explain to them basically the nature of their mission and how they're just kind of fucking with the Haradrim as they're moving through Athelion. Yeah. (laughs) I was reminded of a a Green Day lyric. The needle in the vein of the establishment. That's what these guys are. (laughs) But ultimately, after that little uh, that little uh, battle is done, Fermi returns and starts to question Frodo. And this is when Sam wakes up. They've been waiting around a while. He kind of took a nap. But Sam wakes up to Faramir grilling Frodo, and we've got a quick excerpt about this scene here. He could see Faramir's face, which was now unmasked. It was stern and commanding, and a keen wit lay behind his searching glance. Doubt was in the gray eyes that gazed steadily at Frodo. Yeah, now we kind of get to see some of his uh, his wit. Yeah, like just how smart and like he's really good at this interrogating shit. Like, yeah, really good at it. He's a fast learner. He he's very observant. I uh, I imagine I want to see a Boromir Faramir good cop bad cop interrogation. I feel like that would be a perfect good cop bad <laughs> yeah. cop. Boromir's just like where are the orcs? Just like punching holes in the wall and shit. Just like 
just deliberately hurting himself. There's like his knuckles are bleeding and shit, and he's just like. And then Faramir's like, "You want a coffee?" Or you yeah. know, he's maybe smoking a pipe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe smoking a pipe. So yeah, we see how quick-witted Faramir is in, in this point of, of the book. This is in the Two Towers, in case you're wondering. He can tell that Frodo's not lying per se, but he senses that he does not tell the whole truth. Yeah, he's definitely not satisfied with specifically Frodo's account of how and why. Uh, he and Sam parted from the rest of the fellowship. He kind of guesses that Frodo is kind of half telling the truth about this. Yeah. Like, you you left with all these guys, but where are they now? Kind right. Of thing. Like, he has a suspicion that Frodo is also the halfling from his dream. Right. Cause, yeah, cause, yeah, halflings, like, he's about half the size of a person. Yeah, halfling. Well, that's kind of a crazy coincidence. <laughs> he also knows that a Sealdor's bane would rise when the halfling comes forth. So now that halfling's here he's connecting all these dots mm-hmm. he figures whatever Isildur's bane is Frodo must have brought it to the council and Boromir must have saw it and this is when Frodo tells him that Isildur's bane is hidden yeah don't worry about it dude it's uh it's what's like Indiana Jones yeah. who's handling it top men <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect yeah they say it like twice top men yeah, so top men are looking looking after it. So at this point, uh, Faramir asks Frodo if it's hidden by Frodo's choice or not. You know, is the is it hidden because you're the one concealing this information? Yeah. And we've got a quick excerpt about Frodo's response. No, not because I choose, answered Frodo. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to any mortal, great or small. Though if any could claim it, it would be Aragorn, son of Erethorn, whom I named leader of our company from Moria to Rauros. Yeah, and this is a, a little difference we always talk about between the movies and the books, like uh, Frodo, or uh, excuse me, Aragorn's um, quest to become king and come into his own is more or less an open secret after the Council of uh, uh, Elrond. Yeah, he's very open about it at yeah. the Council of Elrond. Yeah, unlike in the unlike in the film, in the film it's it's kind of they act like it's the secret thing that right, yeah, they can't tell anybody about it till till he's ready to come forth. But he's super open about it right away in the books. Yeah, and uh, Faramir asks him like. Who's this Aragorn cat? And uh, Frodo tells him that Aragorn is descended from Isildur himself. And he actually bears the sword that was broken. Yeah, he's like, that's the uh, broken sword, my friend. And at this, the rangers become excited because they're all listening too. And, you know, you can hear murmurs among them. One of them says, the sword of Elendil comes to Minas Tirith. Great tidings indeed. Yeah, and they're all like, woo, yeah. The, the king is back, guys. This is huge. This is big news. Yeah. But but Faramir, being a cool cucumber, just stares at Frodo. Yeah, he's not quite moved by this. He's like, okay, okay. You know, well, his claim has to be accepted. You got to go through the proper... Yeah, just call me like, it ain't that easy, but whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And then to that, Frodo's like, well, Boromir accepted his claim. Yeah, and then I imagine all the rangers went, ooh. Yeah. Faramir um, tells him, though, that he was in Minas Tirith six days ago and neither Aragorn nor anybody in his company had come there. You think that's uh, where they would have gone? That's where you said they were going? None yeah. of them are there yet. None of them are there. Hmm. Liar. Yeah. You lying to me? And then uh, Frodo, or excuse me, and then Faramir basically asks Frodo whether or not him and Boromir were friends. And he gives a diplomatic answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, first off, that's how you give a diplomatic answer. You start off with a compliment. He says, first off, Boromir was a very valiant member of our fellowship. And yes, 
he was my friend for my part. Yeah, Frodo was a real good talker. Yeah, they're both real slick. That's why this is a a fun chapter in the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. But at, after that, this is when Faramir tells Frodo that Boromir is dead, which is news to Frodo and Sam. They didn't know that. Yeah, they're out of the loop, dude. And this is when Faramir observes a strange look in Frodo's eye, and it's it's grief. He's genuinely reacting with grief. Yeah, so he knows maybe this guy, maybe he actually did know Boromir. And Frodo asks him how he knows this, because he was alive and strong when Frodo left. And Faramir kind of re- uh, replies with, I was hoping you could tell me, man. Yeah, I was, I was kind of hoping you would have those answers. Now, Sam's kind of been uh, sitting back throughout all of this. <laughs> there, he, he, he kind of woke up to this conversation, <laughs> yeah. and now he's kind of pissed off that Faramir has been grilling Frodo this whole time. Now, are you calling my master a liar? Yeah, and Sam says... That if Faramir and his troop are true enemies of Sauron, that they should let them go and let them go about their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he straight up says, if you if you keep hindering us, you're helping Sauron. And here's a little, little tiny, little tiny quote from Sam. He'd be mighty pleased if he could see you now. Think he'd got a new friend, he would. <laughs> Which is such a Sam quote. Yeah, referring to Sauron. Check out our Sam profile. Yeah, yeah. A couple just, weeks uh, ago. Just a couple episodes ago. Learn all about that witty Sam. That witty little boy. I mean, he's not a boy. He's a man. He's a man. So Faramir responds to Sam and basically tells him to, to stop being so hasty. You know, you know, quiet down, buddy. We know we're just talking, bro. Yeah, we're just talking, bro. Just talking, bro. Just talking. And uh, Faramir lets them know that five days ago he heard Boromir's horn. Yeah, and as we've learned in the Fellowship of the Ring and on the podcast before, I believe that horn, when you blow it, with uh, it can be heard anywhere within the ancient bounds of uh, Gondor. Mm-hmm. And five days prior was actually when they were at Ralros, yeah. when the fellowship broke up. So it checks out. And yeah, uh, so Frodo Frodo, Frodo would have heard that. He was very near. R- yeah, so Frodo heard it. Faramir heard it in Nosgiliath. Uh, fucking Imrahil heard it in Dol Amroth. Yeah, everybody heard it. And then uh, Faramir goes on to tell the story of how we found Mormir's body floating down the Anduin River in that elvish boat. And this is also when he reveals... Boromir was his fucking brother. They didn't know that yet. Yeah, they didn't know. This guy's name kind of sounds familiar. That's weird. Uh, yeah, this kind of sounds that, similar to Boromir. Faramir, Boromir, yeah. Yeah. And this is when they realize how legitimately sad he is about the death of Boromir. Yeah, and this is kind of when... Uh, it's his brother. Yeah, it's his fucking brother, dude. And this is kind of when uh, Faramir loses his, like, I'm no longer interrogating you. I'm just kind of talking to you. Because he shows mm-hmm. a little bit of vulnerability and, like, yeah, this is my brother and I'm sad. But Frodo pleads with him to put aside his doubt and let him go and himself go back to Minas Tirith. Here's a little, little tiny quote. Go back, Faramir, valiant captain of Gondor, and defend your city while you may, and let me go where my doom takes me. So at this point, uh, Faramir says that he has to decide what to do, and that's uh, uh, take him to Minas Tirith or not. Basically, let him go or take him to Minas Tirith. And, uh, but he says, he's like, well, we can't just stand here in the middle of the friggin' woods talking about this, guys. We gotta go somewhere safe. Yeah, I think at this point, Faramir realizes that the conversation they're gonna have to have... Needs to be private. Needs to be private. Yeah. And I think this takes us into the chapter, the window of the window unto the west. Indeed it does. And uh, the, so the hobbits start walking with the rangers, and they don't know it yet, but they're taking them to the super secret hideout called Heneth Anun. And along the way, while they're walking there, Faramir starts to talk to Frodo alone. And he apologizes for cutting off their conversation earlier, and he says he purposely turned the conversation towards Boromir so that they could kind of get off the subject of his sealed door's bane. But now that they're talking privately, 
He said that Frodo spoke with skill earlier, but he guessed that their words weren't entirely truthful. He thought that there was a little more to it. He also wisely guesses that Faramir, or excuse me, Boromir and Frodo, they while they might have been friends, they did not depart in friendship. Right. Here's a little quote from Faramir about that. Now, I loved him dearly and would gladly avenge his death. Yet I knew him well, Isildur's bane. I would hazard a guess that Isildur's bane lay between you and was the cause of contention in your company. He also apologizes to Frodo for grilling him earlier about Isildur's bane in front of the other men. Yeah, I got a reputation to maintain, dude. I got a <laughs> and a short excerpt about that. But even as I spoke to you, I drew nearer to the mark, and so I deliberately shot wider, for you must know that much is still preserved of ancient lore among the rulers of the city that is not spread abroad. We of my house are not of the line of Elendil, though the blood of Numenor is in us. Yeah, he's like, so I'm not of the line of kings, but I'm still but pretty. We're cute. still Numenorans now. We still keep that lore. We kind of know what's up with this. Well, because generally we said uh, in the in the in the Kingdoms of the Dunedain series, we said this a little bit too, is that the North Kingdom was most like Numenor, and the Southern Kingdom was kind of like sort of removed from the Numenorian culture, and it like slowly lost the knowledge and the lore that mm. the Northern Kingdom had kept intact right so um faramir explains to frodo that his line is or his family is the line of stewards and that they are in charge until the king would return and he also talks about how it's always displeased boromir that his father denethor was not considered king yeah there's actually a little uh, bit of dialogue in the book where he says um he says uh how many years does it take to make a steward a king when the king returns not and uh, right yeah and at this point they genuinely believe the line of kings is like has been ended, done yeah. for generations yeah. like why would you not just start a new line of kings why would you stick yeah, with yeah. stewards forever like yeah and denethor comes back at him with that and he's like ten thousand years in gondor would not suffice so like yeah. he knows like he's never going to be able to be king because they're so gondorians are so hard in that tradition of kings and whatnot. right right they got to have that pure dunedain blood and as they talk faramir also reveals that he himself is a friend of Gandalf. And they're pretty excited about this. Frodo's stoked. Because, obviously, you know, Gandalf is one of their best friends, too. But then that also brings them... <laughs> leads us to this point. <laughs> to the unhappy news. Yeah. I'm sorry, my friend, but uh, Gandalf is dead. Yeah, you know that guy. Was, you know Gandalf? I know Gandalf. <laughs> dude, he's dead. He just died a couple he days ago. fucking died. He was fighting a Balrog, dude. I saw it happen. Mm. Mm. But yeah, this uh, Faramir says that this does not bode well because he, I think he describes Gandalf as a great mover of things in our time or something like that. Yeah, he, says. he knows Gandalf is important. The loss yeah. of Gandalf is huge. Is huge, huge, huge. I mean, also not considering the fact that he grew up learning stuff from Gandalf. Yeah, like, he, they're pretty close. Yeah, he was his friend. And he, yeah, he grieved that, that Gandalf was, was fallen. Not only for, you know, his skill, but like, he's my buddy. Mm-hmm. So Faramir also goes on to straight up guess, right on point. Straight up. <laughs> that Frodo is actually carrying the one and only ring of power. And he says that Boromir, that he knows that Boromir, he knows Boromir and that he would definitely want to use it in battle to defeat Sauron. Yeah, he knows Boromir would want it. And this is when Frodo starts to become uneasy. Yes. But Faramir kind of puts him at ease. And we've got a quick excerpt about that. But fear no more. I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway. Not where Minas Tirith falling in ruin and I alone could save her. So using the weapon of the Dark Lord. For her good and for my glory. No, I do not wish for such triumphs, Frodo, son of Drogo. 
Yeah, definitely lets him know that if that's what they carry, then that is not something that he would be interested, interested in taking. In. Yeah, at this point, they're they're still kind of talking in hypotheticals. Right, yeah, they're talking... Uh, Faramir's yeah. straight up just throwing out guesses. Yeah, and he even says to Frodo, like, I, I don't want- even want to know if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell me if I've guessed correctly. Just let it lie. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I just wanted to tell you in private, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah, because ultimately, knows if he knows for sure that it's the Ring of Power, that's more temptation, right? Right, right. Because you're just debating. Oh, maybe it's the Ring of Power, whatever. Yeah. And so he's just yeah. This is Faramir. He's he's a he's a fair fellow. He yeah. knows that if this is the case, he's thinking right away. This is what I would do about it. I'm gonna let you know. Let's not get any further. Into <laughs> Let's not talk. Yeah. So at this point, Frodo really feels he can trust Faramir, and he notes how unlike the two brothers are, even though they look very similar. Yeah, and then, so this whole conversation that they're having there's, is while they're walking to Henneth Noon. So, like, when they get to the last leg of the journey, they're like, I'm sorry, Frodo, this is the awkward part where we have to blindfold you. <laughs> they can't let anyone know the entrance to their secret hideout. Yeah, they said they don't even let the Rohirrim go in without being blindfolded. Like, that's pretty, uh, they're your allies, dude. But they finally arrive at the secret cave hideout, Henneth Noon. And it's basically a secret cave system that lays behind a thin waterfall. Yeah, and it's called, excuse me, the name means Window of the Sunset. I believe it actually faces west. It does, yes, it does indeed. And so while they're here hanging out in super secret hideout, Faramir feeds the hobbits and tells them a lot of the history of the southern kingdom, and he gives them just some great exposition on the history of the the Dúnedain in the south and their friendship with the kingdom of Rohan and it, it's kind of some nice some nice information. Yeah, and as they talk Sam starts to trust Faramir and he uh, actually doggone it kind of likes the guy. Mm-hmm. But that kind of gets his guard down and Sam accidentally slips out that Boromir tried to take the ring from Frodo and that he wanted it from the beginning, revealing two major things. <laughs> Yes, we are in fact carrying the one ring. And two, yes, Boromir tried to steal it, so they did not depart as friends. Yeah. <laughs> and then Yeah, Frodo's like Yeah, cut, Frodo's cut, like cut it. What the fuck? Cut it. Shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. Yeah, he's he's not happy. But uh Faramir and then Faramir kinda like uh kinda withdraws from the conversation and starts kinda talking to himself at this yeah. point. And he starts to talk in a way that makes them f- think they're kind of fucked and this might be the end of the road for them so here's a little excerpt about fan or uh fanor <laughs> faramir's uh little uh talk to himself so that is the answer to all the riddles the one ring that was thought to have perished from the world and bormir tried to take it by force and you escaped and ran all the way to me and here in the wild i have you Two halflings and a host of men at my call, and the ring of rings. A pretty stroke of fortune. A chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. Ha! And at this, Sam and Frodo are like, oh shit. So they jump up from the table and they go for their swords. Yeah, they draw their swords. They're like, we're ready. Yeah, and all the fucking rangers look over at them like, "Uh uh-oh. And then... (laughs) And then uh, Faramir laughs, and it diffuses the situation. He sits down, and he, come on, guys, let's sit down. And then all the other rangers look over, and they're like, ah, Faramir's just fucking with those guys. Yeah, what a jokester. Yeah, Faramir reassures them that he'll, he will be true to his words, and he kind of references what he said earlier, not if I found it on the highway. And Faramir, being a man of honor, kind of takes that as a personal vow. Like, he swore an oath to himself that right. he wouldn't take the ring if it were within his grasp yeah when he said that he had decided that himself Mm -hmm. and this is when frodo just completely opens up to him 
them and says that they're going to Mordor to destroy the ring. And Faramir supports them and says he wants to help them on the way any way he can. And later that night, uh, Faramir again shows his mercy by sparing the life of Gollum, who uh, had entered the Forbidden Pool, pool, which is not cool. (laughs) I always like early me and Joel, we always do our Gollum shit, but we were talking about the the song that Gollum sings. sings. It's my wish. To catch a fish. So juicy sweet. Awesome. The pearl is nice nice and cool. But yeah, so so (laughs) Faramir grabs a hold of this fucker, Gollum. But what does he do? He does not hurt him. No, he does not. Unlike in the movie. In the movie, they like fucking beat him up and they shit. They kick the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like the, the scene in Goodfellas where they <laughs> stomp B- Billy Bats to death in the, in, in the bar. Yeah, imagine two big old southern rangers like yeah. beating the shit out of this gangly little like starved hundred year old hobbit. Like, right. They break like, him. These dudes are like, they're dune rangers, so they're like seven feet tall, and they're also like, you. it could be an 85-year-old man just whooping the shit out of you. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. So that, that did not happen. Uh, however, Faramir did take Gollum in, Gollum in for questioning. You know, he's suspicious of this slimy little fuck, which I mean, he should be. Mm-hmm. Gollum's not the best of characters. No, yeah. Um, but ultimately, Faramir gives them leave, and he grants the three travelers freedom over the entire realm of Gondor. He's like, hey, I'm going to put word out. You know, none of the Gondorian military or rangers, none of them are going to fuck you. F- fuck with you. Oh, God. <laughs> Freudian slip. Oh, we have fun. It's been a long day. Yeah, it has been a really long day. <laughs> so Faramir <laughs> stocks them up with supplies, including uh, some food and a couple of really sweet-ass walking sticks. Yeah, yeah. And they say they're actually like, they had to cut them down to give them to them because it's like, they're the ranger's walking sticks. So they're like, we took our super special walking stick, cut it in half. That'd be so funny. What if Faramir just broke it over his knee? <laughs> like, we have here <laughs> an ancient walking stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These things are highly valued. <laughs> break it in half one for each of you one half for each of you so frodo and sam and Gollum depart from faramir on march 8th and continue on their journey to the path of kirithungal and this kind of leaves faramir going about his business with the rangers and they end up having to retreat to Kaer Andros. Yeah. A little bit of background on Kaer Andros. It is a island in the Anduin. It's 40 miles north of Asgiliath. The name means Ship of the Long Foam. This is because the island is shaped like a ship. And the uh, uh, on the northern side, the water breaks like, a, and it looks like a ship cutting through the water. This is uh, where a garrison of men... <laughs> that uh, uh, are stationed and they're to watch the northern approach to Gondor on either on the river or the narrow strip of land on either side. Yeah, so there were, what, three main crossings in that area for the Anduin? Right. In Gondor, there's three, I believe only three, crossings of the river. One of them is Kyra Andros. The other is Osgiliath. And the third is the marshes down in Lebanon. Down south, okay. So while they're hanging out here, Faramir learns that Sauron moves to attack Western Osgiliath. He's already taken Eastern, remember, and now he's going to take the rest entirely. So Faramir sends his men to reinforce the garrison at Osgiliath, while he and three other riders ride back to Minas Tirith. Shortly after um, Faramir departs, there's actually a lesser-known battle that takes place called the Battle of Kyr Andros. And this is the whole island is overrun, uh, so essentially catch, capturing the northern uh, river crossing. And most of the men are killed and many are captured. Yeah, because they were kind of underforced after he sent all their reinforcements to Osgiliath. Right, yeah. 
in uh, late, actually later on in the in the book, um, during Aragorn's march to the Black Gate, he actually sends the people like the young warriors and stuff that are like too scared to go to Mordor. He sends them north and's like, all right, be useful, go fucking uh, right, because they get like halfway there and, and people like, start to wanna. get scared. <laughs> they're like, eh, I want to go back, and they're like, well, you're not going back. But if you don't kind of want to come with us, go take Carandros back for us. Yeah, and uh, they do. So Carandros, it's it's there throughout the story. Yeah, it's kind of shafted from the movies. Carandros shafted. Shafted. They mention it once. Once. I think the guy that plays Damrod is supposed to oh, okay. say it. Okay. Anyway. So ultimately, uh, while Faramir and his couple other uh, fellows are on their way back to Minas Tirith, this is when they get assailed by a winged Nazgul. Right, right. And all horses except for Faramir's are, are gotten rid of, so all of his all of his troops are now running except for him. So he kind of turns around on his horse trying to help others. And this is when they're saved by Gandalf, the yeah. White Rider. Yeah, he sticks his staff up in the air in a huge the beam white of white rider. light. Yeah! Metal as fuck. So after he safely makes it back into Minas Tirith, Faramir goes to Denethor's quarters, and this is where he meets Pippin. First, they say he eats, <laughs> he eats a meal because he's probably really hungry. Mm-hmm. So like before they do imagine. anything, yeah, he's like drinks a bunch of wine and like eats bread, and then they're like, all right, let's have this meeting. <laughs> but yeah, but- Faramir says that this is not the first halfling to wander into the Southlands from the old North Kingdom. And then he recounts his story of how he met Sam and Frodo wandering around in Ithilien just, what, a couple days ago? Yeah, two days ago is when they depart or they parted from each other. He and also reveals that they're heading toward Kirith Ungol. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. But he also remarks that they couldn't have made it there yet. It's too far. Yeah, so now they've got kind of a good uh, timeline on, on Frodo and Sam's journey, thanks to right. Faramir. Right, yeah, I didn't even think of that. He totally gives them like a... Otherwise, they've We probably been, got a couple weeks before Yeah, otherwise, nobody knows what the fuck has happened to Sam and Frodo since, since they left, the yeah. falls of Rauros. They could have been dead this whole time. Yeah. Nobody knows. So that's pretty reassuring. But at this, Denethor is pretty fucking furious about this news, and he says some pretty mean shit to Faramir. Yeah, he criticizes Faramir for his, quote, gentleness. Which I kind of translate as to, he call, he's basically calling him, in this next quote we're about to read, translate Tolkien to modern day, calls him a pussy and a failure. That's basically Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what Denethor is trying to get across. So we've got a quick excerpt about what Denethor says here. But in desperate hours, gentleness may be repaid with death. So be it, said Faramir. So be it, cried Denethor. But not with your death only, Lord Faramir. With the death also of your father, and all of your people, whom it is your part to protect, now that Boromir is gone. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you're fucking gonna let us all down. No one cares if you die, but you're gonna let all of us die. It's yeah. just like, come on, man. And th- yeah, This, this leads- is your son. Yeah, dude. This leads us back to the opening excerpt where he straight up tells him that he wishes he was dead, <laughs> and that Boromir had lived. Yeah, that is some real heavy shit to hear from your own father. Yeah, man. I wish I had a father so he could tell me that he hated me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fun jokes. Mm, Personal, personal jokes. (laughs) So ultimately, Gandalf cuts in here and he tries to defuse the situation. My dudes. My dudes, please. He tells Denethor that if Boromir had taken the ring, it would have destroyed him. And quote, "When when he returned, you would not know your son. Denethor says that they should have kept the ring here in Minas Tirith in the vaults of the Citadel. You know, he's still like, nah, you should have brought it. Yeah, and Gandalf kind of responds with like, oh, that's a really good idea, Denethor. Except for one thing, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. Right, like, why the hell? No, that's, he's like, we're trying to keep it away from you, basically. Yeah. 
And the next day, uh, the council and all the military advisors are summoned. And at this meeting, Denethor sends Faramir on a suicide mission to reinforce Asgiliath. And here's a little quote about what Denethor says. But I will not yield the river and Pelennor on fought. Not if there is a captain here who has still the courage to do his lord's will. Then all were silent. But at length, Faramir said, I do not oppose your will, sire. Since you were robbed of Boromir, I will go and do what I can in his stead, if you command it. I do so, said Denethor. Then farewell, said Faramir. But if I should return, think better of me. That depends on the manner of your return, said Denethor. Like straight up, because I saw the movies first, right? Mm -hmm. That line in the movie I thought was so mean that there was no way that Tolkien could have wrote that line. Yeah, what... uh. And I was uh, like, who did I, they get to play to to play Denethor? Uh, John Noble. He killed it. Yeah, man. he, he murders really, Denethor the role. Yeah. Yeah, you really hate the guy. Yeah, does a good job. Yeah. And as we know, Gandalf urges Faramir not to go. He tells him it's a suicide mission. And, and he that, also, yeah, he says ultimately you'll be needed here, dude. Like, yeah, why would we send the, one of our best men off to die? We need you here. The battle's coming yeah. here. And he also says more on a personal note that your father does love you and he will remember it before the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole exchange between Denethor, Faramir, and Gandalf in the movie, they got it pretty spot on. I, I liked that. Yeah, all this stuff is really good in the movie. So Faramir ultimately leaves Minas Tirith with a small host of men off to Osgiliath. And after a few days, word comes to Minas Tirith saying a few things. Yeah, more forces are coming from Minas Morgul to reinforce the enemy. They're also reinforced by Haradrim from the south. The Witch King is once again leading their forces. And on the fourth day... Word came that the enemy had won the river crossing, you know, so these are just, you know, constant signs of... Yeah, just all bad news bears. Yeah. So Faramir and what's left of his men, they're retreating. The enemy, they said, had paid dearly, but not enough, for they outnumbered the men of Gondor 10 to 1. Yeah. Even that's after, even after they killed a bunch of even them. Even after yeah. they killed a bunch. Yeah, that's that's just crazy. They're just, Mordor's just throwing numbers at this. Oh, yeah, that's all they care about. They say at one point in the, in the book that they can use, he can... Uh, Sauron can afford to lose a host where we can't afford to lose a company. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, yeah, it's that bad. <laughs> yeah, he's just throwing bodies. Yeah, it turns out the enemy had been secretly making many barges to cross the river, so it just oh. made it super easy for them to yeah, go over to the west side. Really? They're making boats? I didn't know orcs could make boats. Right. And so after this awful news, Gandalf just rides off to help. He's like, oh, this is some shit. Here we go. And he comes back to Minas Tirith with many of the wounded men in wagons. Faramir, um, he actually stayed back at the Causeway Fort. So, like, there's, uh, between us, Gilead and Minas Tirith, there's little tiny forts, like, you have to check in on at the, at the road. Mm-hmm. They call them the Causeway Forts. So he's, like, busy defending them and getting all his men out of there. Yeah, kind of guarding the retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trying to make sure it doesn't turn into a shit show. And, uh, of course... Slaughter. Yeah, complete slaughter. And of course it does because of a, uh, a yet another airborne Nazgul attack. This is when Gandalf and Prince Imrahil, shafted, shafted, and the Swan Knights of Dol Amroth, shafted, shafted, ride out to their aid. Another awesome White Rider moment. Mm-hmm. White Rider and Cool Uncle come to save you. <laughs> they rescue Faramir and uh, what is left of his men anyway. But he had been gravely wounded and poisoned with an arrow, so Faramir is pretty much unconscious at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of done in the story until later now because yeah. he's yeah, unconscious. But uh, yeah, Imrahil brings him to his father, and he tells him that he did great deeds. He, d- he did a lot. Yeah, he fought like there was no way they were gonna win, but he fought like a motherfucker. Yeah, and saved a lot of his men. Mm-hmm. So after this is when things get a little dark. Yeah, Denethor. <laughs> 
he just kind of realizes that he does care about his son, and it just kind of leads him even further down the spiral. He really, he really loses his shit. Yeah, and where does he go? But like the opposite place where you should go, mm-hmm. he looks into the goddamn Palantir, which. Which is stupid because Sauron has the other one. Yeah, that was kind of... The Palantir was kind of what started fucking him over in the first yeah, place. Yeah, it, it's what made him go insane. Yeah. And it says... Uh, oh, shit. Somewhere I read this. It says he started using the Palantir shortly after his wife died. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't... Where, oh, where the fuck I read uh, that? I'll look it up. If anybody knows, let me know. Otherwise, I'll look it up. But yeah, let let me know if you know that, listeners. So when he looks into the Palantir, he sees a vision that Sauron has recovered the One Ring and the doom of Minas Tirith was near at hand. It's all over. And yeah, so he's just cracking. And he orders his men to build a funeral pyre, which, you know, people in Gondor haven't done that for fuck knows how long. Yeah. They don't burn people anymore. No tomb for Faramir, son of Denethor. Yeah, and Pippin starts to protest, saying that Faramir is still alive. He's just wounded. And Denethor responds by releasing Pippin from the service of the Citadel and kicking him the fuck out. Yeah, he's just like, we're done here. Uh, We're going to die. So Pippin goes over to our friend Baragon, shafted. Shafted. And uh, so who's Baragon? We don't know because he's shafted. <laughs> he is, uh, <laughs> he's the king of, <laughs> excuse me, he's the captain of the, the guard of the Citadel. Yeah, he's a really awesome member of the Gondorian military that Pepin gets tight with in, yeah. in Minas Tirith. He's also a friend of Faramir. Yeah, he loves Faramir. Yeah, he loves Faramir. And he's also just a local badass. Like, uh, he, uh, and he originally tells uh, Pippin, like, uh, dude, I got orders. I can't abandon my post. And Pippin basically says to him, well, you got a choice, dude. You can either abandon your post and save your friend or you can let him be burned alive and stay here uh, like an asshole until an orc comes and kills you. Like, Right. Yeah. One of the main reasons I was upset that Baragund was left out of the movies was because of this moment. Because it's a really cool yes. moment where they drive home, especially for the men of Gondor, who are so duty-driven. Duty-driven people, yeah. They drive home the difference between duty and what is right. Right. And ultimately, Baragund has to, what, like kill a couple of his own men in this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a second, yeah. So uh, Pippin decides after, you know, kind of being shut down by Baragond, he goes and he's like, I got to find Gandalf. This shit is nuts. Yeah, I'm not going to let this happen. we need Gandalf. So he literally goes down into the battle. Like, the battle's still raging. And he goes down and he's like, Gandalf, I need your help. Gandalf says, yo, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> and uh, Pippin says, well, Denethor is crazed and he's going to burn Faramir alive. And that's really all you need to say. And Gandalf's like, all right, here we go. Yeah, on the way back. And Gandalf and Pippin, they go right back to the Citadel on Shadowfax. They literally ride the fucking horse there as fast as they can. Yeah. And when they arrive at Rath Dinan, this is uh, the uh, silent street in uh, Minas Tirith where the kings are buried. Yeah, it's like on a separate hill or mountain, like out behind Minas Tirith, right? Mm-hmm. Or off yeah, to the off side. to the side of the citadel, I believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> there we find that Baragond had actually left his post to defend Faramir. Yeah, Pepin's words kind of sank in and he actually decided to abandon his duty, try to do what he thought was right, thought and try to right. save Faramir. So he sl- ended up having slain several of Denethor's men, which, you know, are his fellow Gondorian military folks. And uh, he was keeping several others at bay. I think they were actively fighting. Yeah, they were actively trying to kill him. And they were were like, traitor! Yeah, and they were like trying to kill him. And like uh, Pippin and uh, Gandalf bust in. And they're just watching Baragon like try to, you know, stay back, stay back. Yeah, Gandalf shows off a little bit of his cool Maiar shit. And he sends Denethor's other men just kind of running off. Yeah, he sends like a huge, like he just, uh, he kind of shows like his Maiar form a little bit. And he just turns like white and huge. And they're like, oh shit, we got to get out of here. Get on, get. Get on, get. 
And at this point, um, Pippin runs forward. He gets he gets Faramir away from the pyre. He's like soaked in oil and all this nonsense. But Denethor then pulls out what other than the Palantir. Been holding on to it this whole time. This whole time. That'd be really heavy to just walk around you with think? that shit. Yeah. But Gandalf, uh, now he's like, oh. Now oh, I get it. Oh, you oh. are insane. Like legitimately, legitimately insane. Legitimately, you've been fucking around with the Palantir. <laughs> Yeah, everything's making sense to Gandalf now. And uh, Denethor dramatically like pulls out a knife and he tries to come at Faramir because he's like super determined to, to kill him kill for his whatever son reason, and yeah. all, everyone dies. So uh, Pippin and Baragun stand firm in front of Faramir. And, and, uh, and they're straight ready to fuck him up if they yeah, have to. <laughs> they're ready to fucking kill the fucking Lord Stewart to try to save Faramir. And uh, at this point, Denethor sees that pretty much everybody's turned on him. And uh, the jig is up. So he lights the fire and throws himself in. So passes Denethor, son of Ecthelion. I love in the movie how he runs off the... Mm-hmm. It's just cool. I think in the book they like immediately walk out and like close the doors and they hear like one final wail as he goes up in flames and that's like it. Which is still pretty dramatic. That's still pretty cool. Not quite as dramatic as him like diving off the pinnacle of the city into a crazy battle of Pelennor Fields. That was pretty dramatic. That was cool though. That was cool. Yeah. I love that fucking zoom out shot which is like back over the battle and then all of a sudden his body is like nothing Yeah, it shows how insignificant one death is and the... Was that... There's a line from um, The Devil's Backbone that uh, Guillermo del Toro movies what's one other, what's one more drop in an ocean of blood mm-hmm. that's like that kind of like yeah dramatic death, death is all around but now that the super dramatic Denethor son of Ecthelion has passed Faramir's safe and as we know the battle of Pel- Pelennor Fields does ultimately die down at great cost mm-hmm. but ultimately uh, we do win yeah and Faramir's brought to the houses of healing and there he lay in a comatose state. Nobody really knows how to how to help him. They don't even really know what's wrong with him. Right. They're like he's just kind of unconscious. We're not really sure what's going on. Mm-hmm. And this is when uh, after the after everything is said, you know, Pelennor is done. Uh, Aragorn comes to the houses of healing, but not as king. He says specifically, not as king. I come as chieftain of the Dunedain of the North because they need his healing powers now. Definitely. And them Dunedain of the North are pretty good at that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he sees Faramir has been wounded with an arrow of the Haradrim. He's also affected by the Black Death. And at this point, Imrahil, cool uncle, mm-hmm. he goes like, yo, Aragorn, what's up with this dude? Like, I don't know. We don't even know what's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And this, is, uh, this excerpt is what he says. Weariness and grief for his father's mood, a wound, and all over the Black Breath, said Aragorn. He is a man of staunch will, for already he has come close under the shadow before ever he rode to battle on the outwalls, slowly the dark must have crept on him, even as he fought and strove to hold his outpost. So that's pretty impressive. So he basically is saying that the Black Breath has been kind of working at him for a while now. For a while, and he just took it. Because he he's been coming in contact with, with, with Nazgul a couple times now, right? Oh, yeah. So And like, what's the like Family Feud number one answer to do when Nazgul are around? Ding, ding, ding. Run your ass off. Yeah. Right? And like, he doesn't do that. Yeah, I know. He always sticks behind to make sure the retreat goes well. But Aragorn, of course, as he does on several other occasions, he calls for the herb Athalas. Heals everything. Yay. And he uses the herb to specifically heal uh, the black breath. Mm-hmm. He breathes on the leaves and he crushes them and put them in some steaming water. And he calls Faramir's name softly while this like perfumated steam is mm, just kind wafting. of filling the room. 
It says it even makes the, like standards by feel good and like comfortable. Yeah, it's very re- it's supposed to be very refreshing. Yeah, it's like CBD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Faramir, he comes to almost immediately and he's just revived. And there's a quick excerpt about his revival. Suddenly Faramir stirred and he opened his eyes and he looked upon Aragorn who bent over him and a light of knowledge and love was kindled in his eyes and he spoke softly, My lord, you called me. I come. What does the king command? That's a sweet moment. That is, a, like, he recognized the king even when he was unconscious. Yeah. Yeah, that that was really cool. And that's pretty much when Faramir's, like, straight up, you're the king, dude. Like, I'm here to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the king. Yeah. Frodo mentioned this earlier, but he's like, I o- now I officially <laughs> accept yeah. your claim. You are obviously the king. Yeah, and everyone in the Houses of Healing is amazed by this healing power. And uh, Eorith, I think that's how you say her name, Eorith, the, the old wife that runs the um, the Houses of Healing, she says the old adage that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Isn't that what kind of sparked them to go get Aragorn? Aragorn in the first, in the first place, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she sort of inadvertently saved the day by just bringing up some random old wives' tale. Yeah, of shit. course. Eorith, shafted. Shafted. But after that, Faramir remains in the Houses of the Healing for the remainder of the war, just kind of getting better. But uh, he meets someone there. He meets Eowyn. Daughter of Eomund. When Eomund awakes, she is restless and she seeks permission to ride out to war. She wants to go fight at the Black Gate with the rest of everyone else. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up. That's like that one friend uh, <coughs> that one friend that we have that was partying with us that one time and he passed out and then he woke up at like 10 in the morning and like grabbed a beer and was like, what's everybody yeah, doing? I'm up, yeah, I'm up, I'm up. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up. Yeah, because he thought he passed let's, out. Let's do it. For, for let's like, do it. He thought he was out for like 10 minutes and was like, no, dude, everybody went to bed, man. No, she's ready to go. She wants to fight. So she's seeking permission from the steward of the city. And she's told the steward of the city is here in the Houses of Healing. So this is when she meets Faramir. And Faramir is uh, immediately taken aback by her beauty and strength. And he also notes an air of sorrowfulness about her. Yeah, she's she's kind of sad. She's had a rough life. Yeah. Uh, we, we've talked about her a little bit in some previous episodes. Not a whole lot, actually. Not a whole lot. Well, we did talk about her in the women. In the women, in the women one. episode. Yeah. But yeah, she. we actually talked earlier. She kind of like Faramir. They both kind of got screwed by... Yeah, because they're they're loved by the people that they protect and rule over, mm-hmm. but at the same time they're completely overlooked by their families. Yeah, their family overlooks the people love them, but they're all the two of them are overlooked by their family. They're kind of similar. Yeah, and like Aylmer is seen as like the strong warrior type heir, you know, and like mm-hmm. and Aylmer's just like the Lady of Rohan, but she's really like she killed the Witch King, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, she's a warrior too. She wants to go fight, so she demands to be released. And Faramir replies that he too is prisoner of the Houses of the Healing. He's like, I'm, I'm the fucking steward of the city, yeah, and I can't leave either. So yeah, they won't let me go. Unfortunately, like if you were here yesterday, I would have all the authority, but the king is back now. <laughs> yeah, because he too wishes he could go fight alongside the others at the Black Gate. Yeah, but you know, he's being kept there to heal. He says the best he can do is give her a room facing the east, so she can see the return of the host when they come back, which she accepts. Yeah. But it's not what she was looking for. He also throws in a very sly like, and we could maybe talk sometime. Yeah, like he's like, you get, I'll give you this, and then maybe we can be friends. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Hmm? Yeah, the two end up walking in the gardens almost every day, and they become quite close. And Faramir uh, falls in love with her, and he actually like, uh, like, like every guy's ever done, he talks to her friend. 
<laughs> yeah. about her. Uh, so he goes to Mary and he's like, you know, give me the lowdown on her. And he finds out that Eowyn has these uh, feelings. She's a feeling of being trapped within her role of Lady of Rohan. Um, and yeah, I think this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's very trapped, overlooked by her family, all these things that we, that we her were Her love was about. rejected by Aragorn. Yes. And then, yeah, also the rejection of the her love by Aragorn. And uh, so he's like, oh, that's kind of why she's emo. Yeah. Yeah. He straight up digs her emo-ness. Yeah. But he's like, I kind of like that, though. I'm kind of emo, too. I'm kind of emo, too. And we have a quick excerpt about this scene here. Then, A1 of Rohan, I say to you that you are beautiful. In the valleys of our hills there are flowers fair and bright, and maidens fairer still. But neither flower nor lady have I seen till now in Gondor, so lovely and so sorrowful. And Eowyn eventually lets her guard down and, like, admits, they're like, dude, I guess I'm in love with you. He's the sweet talker. <laughs> yeah. We kind of talked about it in the uh, the Women of Tolkien episode, too. Like, it was kind of nice how Eowyn falling in love with, uh, you know, some Prince Stuart, that was not, like, a main part of her story. That was, like, after no, was all like, the badass yeah, shit yeah. she'd done. That was, like, an afterthought. An afterthought, yeah. And um, I saw <laughs> somewhere on the internet people don't like... Because um, she basically gives up her, her life as a warrior to become, like, a like a princess. And a lot of people don't like that. And I see why they don't like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also see what, like, the, the ladies on our podcast were saying that it uh, it's an afterthought rather than, like, central to the character, you know? Right. <clears throat> she did a lot of badass stuff. Before yeah. it got here. And she also She deserves it, dude. Yeah, she she, she deserves, deserves to fall in love. She deserves to have a boy toy. Yeah. You we know, all deserve to be loved. She she destroyed the Witch King. I mean, goddamn. Yeah. Yeah. If she wants, you know, the Lord Steward of Gondor, why not? Like if you think about it, she's so cool <laughs> that Glorfindel made a prophecy about her. Oh, that's right. Yeah, dude. Yeah, she's pretty Shaw. legit shit. Yeah. Shaw. See back to our uh Arnor episode, Battle of Fornost. So after the War of the Ring, with with Denethor dead, like we've mentioned, Faramir is now technically the steward of the city, and he makes himself busy preparing the city for the coming of the king, because he, of course, knows that the king is going to be coming soon. Right. And on May 1st, we have the coronation of Aragorn as King Elisar. Yay! And in this uh, ceremony, uh, Faramir gives back the scepter. That was the symbol of stewardship, of the the ruling stewardship in Gondor. In Gondor. And when Aragorn gives us back, he says that the descendants of Faramir will always be stewards of the city to rule in the king's absence. So he's not totally getting rid of your line of stewards. You no, guys are yeah. still going to be he a sh- very prominent part of Gondor. Yeah, he shows respect for their line and says, like, you guys are still going to be part of, yeah. I mean, he could have easily just broken on his knee and been like, fuck the yeah, stewards. Fuck the stewards. King, king is back. Yeah. Guess who's back? Back again. King is back. Tell a friend. Yes. <laughs> but he <laughs> so also in another show of respect he names Faramir prince of Athelion and he actually assigns Baragun shafted shafted as the captain of Faramir's guard the white company yeah yeah and that's always I always thought that was cool too the way that he uh, how Aragorn dealt with Baragund yeah it's yeah, that whole duty versus what is right thing because he did straight up he did something wrong yeah yeah he, he denied his duty and killed his fellow soldiers yeah spilled blood in a sacred place too yeah, and Aragorn's like you cannot stay here because of what you've done mm-hmm. and he's like yeah he's like you are f- banished from Minas Tirith and he's like but I'm gonna send you down to Athelion with your buddy Faramir yeah you're gonna be the leader of his white company because you got it, kid. You got it. So also, he gives uh, a <laughs> prince of a th- newly crowned prince of Athelion. He gives him a task, 
and his task is reclaiming the eastern territories that were once Gondor, and to cleanse Ithilien of outlaws and orcs that remain. And ultimately he was going to reclaim Minas, he was supposed to reclaim Minas Morgul as well, once called Minas Ethel, and return it back to the Tower of Moon. Yeah. In its previous state. And then maybe they can stop calling Minas Tirith the Tower of Garden, go back to calling it Minas Anor. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I wonder if they ever did that. I should look that up. Ultimately Minas Morgul, I think, took them a while. They were going to let that sit for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they were going to let... It a pretty nasty place. Yeah, let it... The rain wash away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, Eowyn uh, and Faramir do marry, and they settle in Emin Arnon, and they have at least one son, whose name is Elboron. And we say at least one son, because at this point, we're getting into the Fourth Age. Yeah, and there's nothing on the Fourth Age. And there's not much... Yeah, the Fourth Age information, obviously, you know, Tolkien died, so the information stops. They mm-hmm. could have potentially had more kids. Mm-hmm. But we do know that in the year 82 of the Fourth Age is when Faramir dies. At a ripe old age of 120. That's right. He does have some of that Dunedain blood. Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah. So he lived a, a pretty pretty long life. So that's uh, pretty much all we have on the character or on, on the, you know. Like the history. The history. So it's, uh, now we're going to talk about a little bit about what Faramir's character means to the legendarium. Mm-hmm. And uh, Faramir is, uh, I would say he's a classic warrior poet archetype. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a skilled warrior, but he also detests the act of killing. He only does it out of a sense of duty. And he's much more concerned with art and music and other scholarly activities. Jesus, sounds familiar. Yeah. Who does that remind you of? <laughs> and Tolkien actually said in the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien that Faramir was modest, fair-minded, scrupulously just, and very merciful. Again, is this reminding you of somebody? Somebody. Fun fact. In another letter... Tolkien said that, quote, as far as any character is like me, it is Faramir. Yeah, and if I, that really kind of blew my mind because I started thinking about, like, who Tolkien was and, like, who Faramir is. And I was like, yeah, man, they're, they're the same kind of mm-hmm. person. So uh, what I want to do is leave you with a Faramir quote um, that could easily be a quote from <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien himself. And here it is, a little short one. I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness nor the warrior for his glory. I only love that which they defend. I think that's really, really beautifully put. Yeah, and that's a good place to leave the episode, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah! So that's all we have for you on (laughs) Faramir, guys. Hopefully you liked it. Yeah, thanks for sticking through it with us. Yeah, yeah. who do you like more? Hit us up on social media. You like Boromir or Faramir better? Hit them up. I'm not the episodes. Obviously, the episodes are both amazing. But the brothers, who do you like more? Hit us yeah. up. Hit us up on social media. You know, Facebook, Twitter, let us know which of the brothers, which of the sons of Denethor you liked more. Speaking of social media, be sure to follow us at a uh, at, uh, at KOT Podcast on Twitter. If you want to follow my goofy ass, my, uh, I'm at at Jenny, Danny J KOT. And uh, I can be a little opinionated and vulgar sometimes, so don't take it personally. It's, you know, I'm a weirdo. Um, also, follow us on Facebook and join the KOT Talk group. Yeah, uh, we've got a fun KOT Talk group yeah. on Facebook. And you can uh, ask us questions and discuss with other listeners. Yep. You can also follow us on Instagram at Keep on Tolkien Podcast. And, you know, go ahead and subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes, wherever you'll get your podcast. Or both. Or both. <laughs> Stay up to date with those new episodes, guys. And please rate us. Give us a nice review. Yeah, yeah. If you like us, yeah, write a good review. If you, you hate us, tell us. If you don't, like, 
gonna fuck off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yes, write a review, please. We we love reading those reviews. Uh, when we're very depressed, we read the reviews. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, that's what I do. And if you really like us and you want to support us, try giving to our our Patreon and subscribe to our Patreon feed. Because at this point, KOT is still a 100% DIY podcast. It's still coming out of pocket, and donations help so 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 much. Very helpful. But they uh, do not cover the cost of this podcast. No, they they subsidize it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's helpful. It, yeah. it really is nice. Every every penny really helps. Yeah, and this helps us uh, basically be able to bring you the great content that you love with the quality you're used to. Right, it helps us, you know, uh, with our editor and the equipment that we use. And I'm sure you guys are familiar. You know, and uh, subscribing can also unlock some super cool exclusive content, which we're pretty much always a little inebriated for, and it's always not safe for work. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just us. <laughs> having fun yeah so go check it out so go check it out that being said guys we had a wonderful time today it was a lot of fun talking to you i'm really excited we finally got to talk about the two brothers the two sons of dennis thor yeah yeah and then kind of compare and contrast them too which mm-hmm. is nice oh yeah yeah but that, that's all uh, we got for you today guys i am uh i am and will continue to be danny J. and i am jolen and this has been keep on tolkien Aure. and to live up